All right. John 5. <clears throat> Wasn't the praise team great? Did you enjoy seeing Martha smiling? Did you enjoy Wendy on the drums? And how about that synthesizer, huh? I mean, yes. Awesome. It's going great. Just soaking you guys in for a second. It's a treat to be here to share God's word with you. A little bit of a tough introduction. All right. It was a Tuesday morning. Miss Yvette Anderson was at her desk. Miss Elizabeth Parisi was in a meeting. And then there was a loud bang. But no need for alarm, no need for concern, according to the public announcement. Nevertheless, a colleague called Miss Yvette Anderson and urged her to leave the building immediately. She said, no, they told us everything was safe. Similarly, another colleague called Elizabeth Parisi and said, you need to leave now. And she did, immediately. With hindsight, those ladies' response to their colleagues' words decided their fate. Listening to and responding to their colleagues' words decided their fate because that date was 9-11. 21 years ago, the first loud bang was Flight 11 crashing into the North Towers of the World Trade Center. Now, unbeknownst to them, the South Tower only had 16 and a half minutes until United Flight 175 would tear through levels 78 through 84 of that building. And all who were above when the plane struck would perish, as Yvette Anderson did. But Elizabeth Parisi, by listening to and responding to her colleagues' words, crossed from death to life to live another day. John 5 is all about eternal destinies. Listening to and responding to Jesus' words to cross from death to life. So what we have in John 5, in this section, you'll see it in your Bibles. If you have a red, red letter edition, you can tell that this is a lengthy discourse of Jesus' words. You should also have heard, shall be reading before you, kind of a, a, a triplet. Truly, 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 I say to you, three times in this short passage, we hear Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, the words of Jesus are the priority. Because listening to and responding to his words determine our destiny. You can cross from death to life by responding to Jesus' words. Because responding to Jesus' words is the only way to honor God. That's our point number one. Point number one, respond to Christ's words because it's the only way to honor God. In verses 18 through 23, looked at last week, Jesus claims to be working just like his father. He had just healed a man on the Sabbath. The Jews essentially ask him after the healing, who do you think you are? On what kind of authority, doctor authority, do you have to heal on the Sabbath? Now, they should not be asking, why are you breaking the rules? They should have been asking, is the Messiah breaking into history? And Jesus is going to push them to get it. He's going to say, I'm not really a rule breaker. In fact, I'm just a God claimer. So look at verse 18. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
Jesus does not quibble over rules. No, he just claims to be like the only person who is always at work. God. Like an apprentice son who watches and imitates his father in his father's line of business, Jesus is only imitating what he sees the father doing. The father has worked. The father is always working. The father has to maintain the whole world. He creates life. He sustains life, even if it's the Sabbath, because the father is the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus... His work is completely in sync with the Father. Notice the words nothing, only, and whatever in verse 19. Here it is. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I mean, what a statement about His perfect obedience He does whatever the Father is doing. He doesn't do anything else. No one else could ever claim that there is a direct and perfect correspondence between our lives and the will of God. No one else can say every day, all day, all that I'm doing is exactly what God would have me do. And Jesus says that his life is a perfect revelation of the Father. Business owners, bosses, wouldn't it be amazing if there was no problem of communication like this? All right, I mean, there is no coordination efforts. Hey, you got that creating thing on day one? I'll take day two. There is no miscommunication. There is no, oops, I dropped the ball. Whatever the father does, the son does. He doesn't do any more. He doesn't do any less. We could put it this way. Like father, like son. His works show that him and the Father are one. For this Jesus at work is that God at work. He's the perfect revelation of the Father because he's in a perfect relationship with the Father. What I love about this is a relationship he didn't have to invent or grasp after. Don't you know people that drop names and kind of want to claim like, oh yeah, I know that guy, and they're reaching for it, they're grabbing for it. Jesus didn't make himself God. Jesus had to make himself man. He doesn't have to reach and say, I'm in this perfect relationship. It actually is a relationship the Father has for the Son. It is the Father who loves the Son. Look at verse 20. The Father loves the Son. And the Father shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. It is because of the Father's love for the Son that guarantees the Son does whatever the Father wants Him to do. It's a relationship of love. We see that carried all the way into the times of suffering. When Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray, not my will, but your will be done. How can He pray that? Because He knows of the Father's love. He's secure in the Father's love. Such is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. If you'd like to know more about how God the Father relates to God the Son, I have a short book under 100 pages called The Trinity, an Introduction. See me at the door. I'd love to give it to you as a free gift from us. If you haven't thought about the Trinity and what that matters for your faith, this book is awesome. I encourage you to do it on your summer reading plan. It will beat a novel.
Okay, maybe it won't. But bring it to the beach. Everybody likes to open up a new book of the beach. It'll be good. Second, look at his vast responsibilities. We have a perfect relationship, right? We have a perfect revelation, but look at these responsibilities that he has. And notice again how comprehensive these words are of his responsibilities in verses 21 through 22. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given, again, here it is, all judgment to the Son. What are the works of the God the Father? Granting life, giving judgment. That's what God does. What is Jesus doing in this passage? Granting life, giving judgment. He has the same responsibilities as the Father. So how should you respond to Jesus' words that he is in a perfect relationship with the Father? Verse 24, you should respond by honoring the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The Son was given all of these responsibilities so that you would look to him and honor Jesus Christ as God to honor the Father. You want to honor God the Father? Honor God the Son. Okay? Here in John 5, though, the religious moral police, they actually think that they're honoring God, but in fact, they're dishonoring God because they're disregarding Jesus' words. Right? It's ironic. They generally think that they're honoring God by making sure you don't carry your mat on the Sabbath. But in fact, they're dishonoring God because they're disregarding Jesus. So let me put it to you as bluntly and as forcefully as John is putting it here. Jesus is the fulcrum, the pivot on which your eternal destiny hinges. Your real attitude towards God is your real attitude towards Jesus. In other words, your response to Jesus is indicative of what your response to God is ultimately like. Here it is on the bottom shelf. You can't say, I believe in God and not honor Jesus. Okay? Which means we can test every other religion in the world with this question. How do they honor the Son? Where do they put Jesus? I know we're in a pluralistic society, tolerance, coexistence, honoring other faiths. But let me just put it as clear as the Bible says here, the Muslims do not honor the Father because they do not honor the Son. This means that Jews don't honor the Father. This has to be a blow to an Orthodox Jew who goes to synagogue believing that he is honoring the God of the Bible. But he is not if he is not honoring the Son. For how you treat the Son is how you treat the Father. Do you want to honor God this morning? Recognize Jesus as God and treat Him as such. He is the fulcrum, the pivot on which your eternal destiny hinges, on which my eternal destiny hinges. My eternal future is decided on my present response to Jesus. Your eternal future is decided on your present response to Jesus. Respond in worship of the Son, because this Jesus is that God. Notice second, responding to his words is the only way for you to cross from death to life. Believing his words are the means by which you cross from death to life. Look at verse 24. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Did you notice Jesus' analysis of humanity? That was a tongue twister. Did you notice Jesus' analysis of humanity? There are only two states, dead, alive, binary, dead, alive. And here is Jesus' analysis of where everyone starts, dead, not neutral. The world is not neutral. We are dead. It is because of the failure of Adam and Eve to listen to and respond to God's word. And because they did not listen to and respond to God's word, they crossed from life to death, both spiritually and physically. And there is only one thing that a dead person needs more than anything else. Life. That's Christ's priority. I know it's a repeat analogy from last week, but some of you weren't here, so here it goes again. Why is life Jesus' top priority? Well, it's like this. If you were to walk into an emergency room, <laughs> there's light. That's all right. I appreciate you doing that. Whoever made those and you sit in those seats right there, it, you just bake. So it's a really nice thing, and I guess, yeah, just uh, caught it. All right, here we go. You walk into an emergency room, and you have a paper cut on your finger, but you have bullet hole wounds to the chest. The emergency room doctors are going to overlook your scrape on your pinky finger, and they are going to address first the bullet wounds to your chest. And Christ has come to deal with your greatest wound first, and that is your spiritual death. You need to cross from death to life. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and it is God who makes us alive, and it is a work that only God can do. Notice how Jesus does this work that only God can do. He does this work through his word. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I what? say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. If you hear the word of the Son, you can experience the work of God, right? For his word accomplishes his work. Remember from last week, the paramedic, the paralytic man's legs, dead, unable to move. But Jesus' life-giving work comes through his life-giving word. He says, get up, take up, and walk. And the man does. Today, Jesus can give life to those that are spiritually dead. Do you want to pass from death to life? Respond to Jesus' words to receive eternal life. For Jesus is the fulcrum. He's the pivot on which your and my eternal destiny hinges. My eternal future is decided about my present response to Jesus. Your eternal destiny hinges upon your present response to Jesus. All you have to do is hear the word of God, believe it to experience the life-giving work of God. Life is what you need most. Life is on offer. And whoever hears and responds crosses from death to life. Which leads to our final point this morning. When should you respond to this word? Well, in the South Towers of the World Trade Center, 
they only had 16 and a half minutes to act. They didn't know what was coming. But my friends, we do. Because Jesus has told us, in verses 25 through 29, Jesus encourages us to respond to his words now to avoid condemnation then. Point three, respond to Jesus' words now to avoid condemnation then. Because the one who can pardon the guilty is also the one who can condemn the guilty. That's how it works in court, right? The judge, he has the authority to pardon the guilty, but he also has the authority to condemn the guilty. And that's how it will work on the last day. Look at verses 25 through 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. My friends, is the fact that there is going to be judgment bad news? My father-in-law was just talking with one of his friends, and this idea of a judgment or vengeful God was really just a huge deterrent from one of his friends considering who God is. But all you have to do today, friends, in your gospel witness to your neighbors who have these great questions, is it a good thing that God judges? Turn on your TV. It'll be really easy for you. See the tyrants and the villains. I don't need to name them. You can just watch their TV and find them. And these tyrants and villains who escape justice on this earth, they live out their lives and they die in opulence, comfort, and splendor on the basis of their ill-gotten gains. And you watch those men starting those wars. And something inside of you says, there has to be justice beyond the grave. There has to be vindication for these people. Surely it is good news that there is judgment. Surely it is good news that there is no injustice that you have suffered. That there is no wrong that you have endured that will not be accounted for on the last day publicly. Some of you have experienced sexual harassment and no one listened. Some of you have experienced abuse from people that should have taken care of you. Some of you have been bullied because you're not like the crowd. Some of you have profound pain of rejection from parents or spouses who should have been committed to you. Others have been neglected, passed over, taken advantage of. In all these cases and more, justice has not been done. People want justice. Okay, right here. People want justice, but what they don't want is a judge. But we are told that we have a judge, and what a judge he is. Jesus expects them to know about this judge because he calls the judge the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a title from Daniel chapter 7, 
I'm going to read you Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, and you're going to listen for the word Son of Man. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there was one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given, the Son of Man was given, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Without batting an eyelid, Jesus looks at these people and says, that's me. That vision 700 years ago is in reality today in me. One day, all will see it. For Jesus says in verses 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. My friends, there is coming a moment when Jesus will call time. That's it. The end. And at the voice of Jesus, all will stand before him. People today might be sticking their fingers in their ears, not listening to Jesus' voice now. But then the words of Jesus will be so powerful that no one can resist it, even dead in the ground. All will be summons. All will stand. And they will stand before him who is not just the Son of God, but who is the Son of Man. Catch this. God's sanctioned judge is not only God, but he's also human. Sounds a lot like John 1. If you have not been tracking with us and you've just been our guest for the past couple of weeks and you want a guided read-through of John to get caught up to speed, there's a number of us that would love to just meet with you, read John one-on-one, and get your brought up to John chapter 5 and understand what's going on. But here's a quick review. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who is that Word? John 1.14, And the Word became flesh. Think about it. Jesus as God has perfect knowledge. Jesus as a human has perfect experience. Therefore, this God-man Jesus, who we sang about, and come behold this wondrous mystery, this God-man Jesus is going to execute perfect judgment. Think about it this way. The one who is going to judge us has perfect knowledge as God. And he is also the one who has a perfect experience as a human being. So he's going to look at you and say, Hey guys, I'm one of you. I've been tempted in every single point you have, yet without sin. His perfect experience as a human is going to stop every mouth from saying, But you don't understand. You don't know how hard it was for me. There will be no excuses. For this, Jesus has been entrusted with all judgment. He has perfect knowledge, perfect experience, and there's only two outcomes available on the basis of deeds. Look at verse 29. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Hearing that confirms what many people believe about religion, right? You cannot be more wrong. Let me clarify it if you're new to Christianity and you're exploring it. You are not redeemed by your deeds, but you are revealed by your deeds. The fruit on the tree does not give the tree life. 
But the fruit on the tree reveals that the tree is alive. So look at your deeds. The judge will. Every deed counts. Starting right now, it counts then, and it counts forever. And what we deserve is only one outcome. But what a wonder that Jesus Christ, the judge, has made two possible outcomes. You should marvel. You should marvel at Jesus, that since Jesus is the judge, not only is he going to dispense judgment one day, he first came early to absorb your judgment. He's not only the subject of judgment, but he has actually been, when he died on the cross, the object of judgment. The Bible tells us that Christ came into the world, he went all the way to the cross, so there wouldn't just be one outcome, guilty. No, he came early to give life now, so you can avoid judgment then. So here is word. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. For our sake, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the children of God. That is the great inversion. This is the great good news. If you're exploring what does it mean to be a Christian, here's the good news. The good news is that one day, 2,000 years ago, the judge of the world became condemned. So that those of us that are condemned could actually be set free. That is the gospel. That's the good news. The Son, to pardon us from judgment, took our punishment. Pardon for us meant punishment for him. The judge took our judgment so that we could pass from death to life. Life for us meant death for him. So here's my plea. Make the judge your friend. Make the judge your friend. Establish a relationship with the judge that is a relationship of love. Don't face him that day in your own goodness. It will not go well with you. If you don't believe me, here's a really fun thing to do on this beautiful sunny day. We did this on Father's Day. It was so restoring to my soul. This is what you do. You find people that know you really well. And you go to them and you say, tell me the worst things about myself. And if they know you, they will have plenty to say. <laughs> Ask somebody to do that. What are the worst things about me? Your kids would be a good place to start. <laughs> they, they, they've done that. That's a limited human with limited knowledge. Think about what God thinks about you and what God knows about you. Thoughts, plans, desires. You will want Jesus as your friend on that day. Because all authority has been given to him. Do you sense your need of a friend? Do you sense your need of an advocate to defend you? You will on judgment day. So love the son now so that he will not be your judge then. Think of the difference that will make in your life. I'd love to just tell you one application. If you're here as a Christian, this should be great news for you that Christ, your Savior, is also the one who is your judge. Here's your application. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. If you actually think through the implications of Christ as your friend and as your judge, it will free you from all anxiety. I love how Jonathan Edwards, a preacher, put it. He writes it this way. It's a little bit of old language, but I'm sure you can track it. This is what he says. 
It is an abundant consolation for believers that their Redeemer is also appointed to be their judge. The same person who spilled his blood for them has the determination of their state left with him. Who gets to decide what's going to happen to you in eternity is the same one who spilled his blood for you. That's good news. Okay? What matters of joy to them will it be at the last day they lift up their eyes and behold the person with whom they've trusted for salvation, the person to whom they fled for refuge, upon whom they've built their foundation for eternity, whose voice they've often heard is the one who is inviting them in to protection and safety. Wouldn't it be horrifying if Jesus is not your friend, but your judge? My non-Christian friend, would you want to avoid condemnation then? Listen to his words now. Thank God that there is a judge that can become your friend. For Jesus is the fulcrum the pivot on which your eternal destiny hinges. My eternal future is decided upon my present response to Jesus. Your eternal future is decided upon your present response to Jesus. Hear the word of God to experience the life-giving work of God. Cross from death to life, from condemned to pardoned. For Jesus has the authority to change your eternal destiny right now. If you'd love to know more about who this Jesus is, I have even a smaller book. It's called, Who is Jesus? <laughs> I think I got like eight copies. It's red. You can't even misplace it. It's bright red. It's even hardback. See me at the door for one of eight copies of Who is Jesus? And you know what? I'd be happy to read it with you, happy to go out to lunch with you, and so would the person who brought you here. If you don't have a friend here and you don't want me to be your friend... <laughs> <laughs> The list is long. Remember, I had my kids tell me on Father's Day the worst things about me. I have not asked the church to do that yet. The annual business meeting was only 50 minutes yesterday. It would have taken much longer if that question was there. Get that book, see me at the door, and it's worth considering who Jesus is now so that you can meet him as your friend then. Is there anything more important in your life? Christ thought, truly, truly, I say unto you, you should hear his words and cross from death to life. We're going to stand and sing, come to the altar. It's just saying it's open wide. It's here for you. Life is on offer. If you would like this life that is on offer, that starts now and goes on for eternity, make Jesus your friend. If you don't know how to do that, see me at the door or ask the person who brought you. Let's stand and sing, come to the altar. There's coming a day where Christ will call time and we might be standing on red.